Zechariah chapter 4, it will also be on the screens, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered me and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amidst the shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from out of which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This is God's word. You may sit down. Good morning. How you all doing? Is that how you said? Zachariah, Isaiah, Isaiah. Shouldn't it be Zachariah? I'm just teasing you. It's good to be in the book of Zachariah, Zachariah. And this morning... We have a message from God's Word that I think is particularly significant and important, and we'll see why. Essentially, what is shown to Zechariah, and then we're going to consider it together, is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In those days, uh, Zechariah, Haggai, Zerubbabel, which I think is how you pronounce over here, is that right? Zerubbabel? Or in English they say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel? Zachariah? Zachariah? Come on, you're still there, right? <laughs> Thank you. 
In those days, Zechariah and Haggai had a particular challenge, as we all have challenges, as there are obstacles in our lives and things that go on and family situations. And their challenge was to do with rebuilding the temple, and they had obstacles. Indeed, it's described here as a mountain of obstacles, and perhaps you're facing some obstacles in your life, whether it's your family, whether it's your work, whether it's your ministry, whether it's something internal that feels like it's a huge obstacle, a mountain that you can't get over or get around, and maybe that's why you're here this morning. You've got an obstacle, you've got a mountain, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren. Maybe for you the mountain is just a sense of like, what on earth is going on in the world today? You've been watching the news on Ukraine, and there's a mountain in front of us, it feels like. And here, as I say, the message is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, that that the message that is given all those years ago to Zechariah, this particular vision is one of great significance and great importance. And there are different categories of people that that would be true for. The prideful, there are people who think, I don't need this. I'm fine. I've got money. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I know this. I know how you pronounce Zachariah. I wasn't like Pastor Eric Channing. I wouldn't have got confused between Zephaniah and Zachariah. I know where it is. I didn't look it up in the index. I've read commentaries on this book. Or maybe you're not yet a Christian. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't need God, I don't need church, I don't need sermons. Pride is a little bit like an invisibility cloak that masks all other spiritual ailments. You know, the invisibility cloak from uh, the Harry Potter series where they, the children had a cloak that hid them and you couldn't see them. And pride is like that. It's an invisibility cloak that masks all kinds of other ailments and diseases. And you, you can't see what the other parts that are connected to that pride might be, resistance to God's Word and inability to trust other people, or self-reliance. And yet there comes a time when there's a mountain in front of you. And self-reliance will not do it. And the invisibility cloak comes off. It's a word for the prideful. It's also a word for the pragmatic. Being practical is a good thing, having goals and plans and statistical 
assessment of opportunities and data analysis and to-do lists and a calendar and structured set of goals and all that is fine, but you can become to a stage where you have paralysis by analysis. And if you're limited by your human ability to conceive how the goal will happen, then you'll never do a God-sized task. You'll see the mountain, and you won't be able to get around it. It's a mountain. can't move that. won't seem practical. But in particular, it's a word for the pressured and the pressurized. Perhaps you are feeling overwhelmed by the news, or you're feeling overwhelmed by circumstances in your own life. You're feeling overwhelmed by just feelings of oppression, of pressure. It's, it's winter in Chicagoland, and it's still cold. And unlike some people, you haven't yet been to Hawaii to get a bit of warmth. And you're just feeling like overwhelmed, and there's, a, there's an issue with your your marriage or your family or your children or your grandchildren or your finances or with your physical health. And there's a mountain, an obstacle, and you don't have the might and you don't have the power. And the Lord is saying, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. I remember when I uh, first came to Wheaton uh, some years ago, it's 14 years ago now, which is hard to believe, it's amazing, 14 years anyway, um, Rochelle and I were visiting and we were visiting with various individuals and, and families and you know, some of the people in this room and just getting to know people and uh, it probably wasn't throughout the whole city, there are probably areas in Wheaton where this wasn't the case, but there was a general widespread, it seemed city-wide or close to it, power cut. And everyone was sort of running around um, making sure that either their fridge stayed closed so the food in the fridge didn't rot or they were taking food from their fridge to the neighbor's fridge where they had a generator so they did have power and, and there, was, there was no electricity. And, 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 and I remember thinking, coming like, what, what city have I come to? They don't have electricity. And one of the first things that Rochelle and I did when we got our own house is we made sure there was a generator because I thought, I'm living in America. I expect there to be power. And actually, ironically, Rochelle will remind me of this. Having, uh, that generator has been wonderful, but having put it in, I think we've actually used it like twice in all the times we've been here. So, but, but those two times, it was worth it, as I say to Rochelle, you know. Um, you can have fancy lights, the light bulbs. You can, have, you can have the latest BMW or Mercedes. But if you, have no, if you have no electricity for the lights, if you have no gas for the car, nothing's going to happen. And this passage is about the, 
not human might and human power, but the Spirit of the Almighty God. that deals with the mountain. Let's see how um, the vision tells uh, that story. First of all, it's emphasized that it is important, significant. When I said at the beginning this is a particularly significant and important message, I wasn't just saying that for rhetorical connection so that you would listen and pay attention, but because actually in... The passage itself, it's emphasized its significance, and the, emphasis, it's the significance of it, the importance of it, is emphasized in a couple of ways. First of all, structurally. So you remember, we're looking at the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah the prophet is having these eight visions in one night, and we're not going to look at every single one of the visions, but with these eight visions, and then the rest of his ministry is applying those visions, preaching those visions in one night, like the whole of his insight to this is one night of eight visions. And we're now in vision number five of those eight visions. And the eight visions are structured in what's known as a chiasm, which comes from a Greek word for the Greek letter, which essentially means X-shaped, or um, it's the meat in the sandwich is the point when it's structured like a chiasm, like X-shaped. And that's, that part is the important part. So these eight visions are a chiasm. So one is connected to eight. And the central part of it is vision four and vision five. That are the, the point of the spear, the meat in the sandwich, the most significant parts of these, uh, of these, of these visions. And it's, it's emphasized that way by this structure of of a, of a chiasm. For instance, we use chiasm in regular everyday speech. Uh, so, someone might, might say, um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's a chiasm, and what's being emphasized by the meat in the sandwich is the word tough, be tough. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's about being tough. Or Benjamin Franklin famously said, if you, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail, and the emphasis is on preparation because the words prepare and the meat in the sandwich are the point of the spear. And similarly here, these visions, four and five, are the significant parts. Structure that way so that when you read through them, you get to four and five and this ancient way of structuring texts is, is telling the reader to go, okay, now listen, this, this is the meat in the sandwich. This is the point of the spear. This is significant. So that's one way it's emphasized that it's significant. The other way is right at the beginning, verse 1. It says this, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. Now note this, note this, note this. Zachariah is not saying he was asleep. He's saying he woke like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. These are not dreams that he's having while he's asleep. They're visions that he's having over the night. He hasn't been asleep. 
But now, he's really awake. So startled is he, that it's almost as if he'd been asleep beforehand. It's like he's, he's now got the triple espresso shot. He's like awake. I um, lived in the former Soviet Union for a little bit and been to Ukraine on a number of different occasions. We lived and worked in that region. We are based further south, uh, in, um, mainly in a country called Georgia, but also another country called Azerbaijan. And I'm familiar with that whole uh, region. And one time when we were there with our mission group, uh, we were traveling by train from Azerbaijan to Georgia on the overnight train. And at the time, it was a pretty disturbed uh, country. Uh, Georgia had just come out of a civil war. And every night that we were there, when we were living in the capital city of Georgia, which is called Tbilisi, I remember hearing every night Kalashnikovs going off. And I could still, I could still hear the noise of a Kalashnikov. It's in the night. And um, as we used to say to missionary leaders who visited us, who were rather unnerved by this noise, we would say, don't worry, most of it's just in the air. Most of it. Um, and so there we were on this train coming back from the capital city of Azerbaijan, which is called Baku, all the way over the mountains into the capital city of Georgia, which is called Tbilisi. And I was with the mission team that we were on. There was, the mission team was me and another man, and there were three women on the mission team. And for some reason or other, I can't remember why, the other man on the mission team wasn't with us with this particular mission trip. So it was me on this uh, train moving very, very slowly, Chugga, 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 really slowly all through the night. In this, um, I think it was like a third-class apartment, so it was us with like 50, 60 other people all crammed into this space, sitting on really old chairs. And the, um, um, a missionary who had visited Baku, which at the time was easier to get to than Tbilisi, Georgia, because Georgia was a little disturbed then, had given us... Uh, a gift uh, uh, for another missionary in Tbilisi because it's the only way he'd get it to him and it was a rather large suitcase or trunk that looked really expensive. It was obviously from the West. It was uh, nice looking, um, expensive looking and very large and that was at our feet sitting in the train compartment and as the train chugged, chugged, chugged along, slowly, slowly through the night, everyone in that train compartment of 50, 60 people crammed together began to f- just nod off to sleep. And opposite me was a man. And when you live in that kind of country, you begin to spot the signs of, of mafia people. And this guy was clearly a mafia guy sitting there opposite me. And the other parts of our team had fallen asleep, and I was still awake because... I don't typically need that much sleep, so I was just sitting there. And he was looking at me, and then as he looked at me, and he noticed this very expensive-looking suitcase on the floor in front of me, he got out the, the biggest knife I think I've ever seen out of his pocket. He got it out, and on the back of his hands, he had extremely hairy hands, like really hairy. This huge, this obvious mafia guy, huge guy, 
big knife, hairy, like hair well, everywhere. Like, and he looked at me and he started to shave the back of his hands with his knife, the hair. And then he looked at me and he looked at the very expensive suitcase as everyone else was falling asleep with the big knife. And he said to me, Ustal, which is Russian for, you're tired. And he shaved a bit more. Go to sleep. You think I went to sleep? (laughs) I've never been so awake in my life. He's awake. This is important. So now it comes to the, the content of it. What does he see? I see and well, there's a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now, some scholars look at this and they say that essentially what Zechariah saw was a Jewish menorah so that you have these seven branches of the, of the, um, of the lamp and that's certainly possible. Other people think that what... Um, uh, what Zachariah saw connected to this traditional Jewish menorah is related to what you can still see in Rome on uh, Titus's triumphal arch. So when the Romans uh, destroyed Jerusalem and the Jerusalem temple, they took with them all the different furniture from the temple. And to commemorate this victory, they built an arch, and on the arch they in the stone, you can still see it, that are, are physical uh, visualizations of the things they took with them, including candles. And, and so some people think that what Zachariah saw was a bit like one of those candles, so menorah, Titus's arch. Some other people think that what he saw was what Moses described in Exodus chapter 25 as the kind of furniture that there should be in, in, the, in the temple. And all that's possible. But what's interesting, though, is that there's some unusual parts of it. So it's a lampstand all of gold, okay, but then there's a bowl on top of it. And seven lamps on it. It's like in tiers of a, of a wedding cake or something. It's like very hard to visualize. And then there are seven lips that are on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there's a little bit more as well. So basically, this passage is him seeing this and then asking the angel, you know, what does this mean? And he asks in a number of different ways and is given different answers. And then he returns to it when he asks again in verse 12. So that was, I just read from verse 2. But now verse 12, he asks again and, and he says, what are these? So there's the olive trees, but now what are these two branches of the olive trees? So there's a little bit more to the vision which are beside the two golden pipes. So there's that, from which the golden oil is poured out. Okay. And then um, the angel answers by saying, these are the two anointed ones, or literally two sons of new oil. 
So there's all these different parts to it that is hard to visualize, but what's being emphasized over and over and over and over and over again is oil. There are lamps that need oil. There are bowls that are filled with oil. There are lips, like lips where the oil can go through, that kind of lip. There, there, there are, there's golden oil. There are pipes for the oil. And then there are these two sons of oil. Oil, oil, oil. It's, it's, it's oil. And of course, oil is a symbol of the Spirit. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Oil. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And why all this oil? Well, verse 7, who are you, O great mountain? Uh, Scholars differ as to exactly what this mountain may have been. And some people think the mountain was literally the mountain of debris, the, the rubbish, the, the boulders, the broken down bits of stone and trash that had piled up throughout the city from when the city was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, when it was uh, uh, taken over and, and, and broken down by the Babylonian captivity. And now there's this mountain of stuff. It, so some scholars think that literally that those who have been called to rebuild the temple are looking at this mountain of rubbish and thinking, well, we don't have like, how how can we, we can't even begin. We've got to clear the ground before we begin. There's a mountain. So some people think that. I guess that's possible. Other, Other people think that the mountain is more related to the actual enemies that Zechariah and Haggai and God's people were facing at the time. There were people who were opposing them, who would be militarily in opposition to their work, that would attack them. And this is, as it were, a mountain. And that's also certainly possible. Other people think that it's more like a psychological mountain, that the God's people are are facing these various issues, and they're like, this is a mountain, we can't do it. It's too much, and they're feeling like we, we cannot do it. And, and again, that's possible. And in all likelihood, it's probably all of those. There's this mountain. And of course, for those of us, for those of us who lean towards the realistic, the pragmatic, the data-driven, the goals, the envisualizing the possible rather than what isn't possible, it's so easy, isn't it, to look at the mountain and not see the Almighty. And what God is saying here is this mountain will be flattened. It will become a plain. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us to, ins- to instead of essentially what God is saying here is that I'm going to make out of this mountain a molehill. 
And it's so easy, isn't it, for those of us who are practically orientated to do it the other way around? To make out of every molehill a mountain when we should make out of every mountain a molehill? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And Zerubbabel is going to bring forward the top stone. In other words, it's going to be completed amid shouts of grace, grace to it. In other words, it was all God's doing, all by grace. His hand shall also complete it, verse uh, 9. Then you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So, then you'll know that the prophet of hope really had received the word from, from God. 4, verse 10, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line, the hand of Zerubbabel. And the plumb line, of course, is an um, instrument for construction. So it's going to happen. He's going to build the temple. You'll see the plumb line in the hands of the governor, the, uh, Zerubbabel, who's the governor. But that phrase, whoever has despised the day of small things, is frequently misinterpreted in popular Christian culture. You can, if you look it up online, you Google it, you'll find blogs about it, and it tends to be misread as do not despise the day of small things. But that's not what is said. In the ESV translation, it's for whoever has despise the day of small things, shall rejoice. doesn't say, do not despise the day of small things. It says, for whoever has despised the day of small things. It's, or it could be, who has despised the day of small things is the question. I think, and you don't have to agree with me, um, as Martin Luther used to say, the only thing worse than a pope in Rome as a pope in every pulpit. This is my interpretation. You don't have to agree with me. I think what's actually being said is, who has despised the day of small things? In other words, who are those people who have looked at this very small beginning and said, God's going to do much more? For them... When Zerubbabel puts the top stone on, they're going to rejoice because they're going to say, I trusted God for that. I believed Him for that. See, it's happened. I don't actually think it's saying don't despise the day of small things. I think it's saying do despise the day of small things. It's at least a question. Who has despised the day of small things? There's going to be rejoicing. Because, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Well, how are we going to apply this uh, together for our personal lives, for our church life, for um, our ministries, for the world at large? Well, and that phrase actually has three parts to it, doesn't it? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, the, the, the first part is a, 
is a denial. It's not by might nor by power. That's denying. So the first thing to do is to say before the Lord, it's not going to be my strength, God. This mountain I cannot move. Isn't this exactly what the Apostle Paul discovered? That God's power is made perfect in weakness? Listen. The strength of our church here is not the number of Wheaton College professors that we have. It is not the amount of savvy business leaders we have. It is not the resources we have, both personal and otherwise. It is not our might, it is not our power, and it's certainly not having a senior pastor with a Cambridge PhD. That is not, that's not it. We deny all that. It's the Spirit of the Lord. So we need to deny, and then we need to receive, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. We need to receive the Spirit. Uh, It's Charles Spurgeon who wrote very famously when he was asked one time why he was always praying that the Spirit of God would fill him again and again and again. Why, Why, Spurgeon, do you pray that God's Spirit will fill you again and again? Haven't you prayed that once? Why do you need to pray it again? Famously, Charles Spurgeon replied, the reason why I pray for God's Spirit to fill me again and again is because I leak. We will leak. And Ephesians tells us, and many of us will know this, that the, the verse, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, is an imperative present continuous. In other words, the instruction is to be being filled over and over again to receive the Spirit. But there's a final part to this instruction, isn't there? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And the final part is, says the Lord of hosts. So we need to deny and receive, but also believe what God says in His Word, in the Scriptures, in the Bible. And so often, churches individuals, ministries, put at loggerheads the work of the Spirit and the Word of God when they go together. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, Ephesians 6 verse 17. They, so if we're to have God's Spirit powerfully at work in us, then we need to read the Bible, study the Bible, preach the Bible. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I'll I'll leave you with this um, final illustration that is, as it were, fresh off the press. Just yesterday I was uh, preaching in downtown Chicago at uh, the movie uh, Bible Institute uh, Men's Conference. And after I preached, I was chatting with one of the other preachers uh, there that day afterwards. And he's an older man than I am. 
and we were talking about various things, and I was intrigued to learn that he at one point had worked with Campus Crusade, and I, the, the founder of Campus Crusade was a man called Bill Bright, who I never knew, but I wanted to hear a story about him. Oh, you worked with Bill Bright, what was he like? And he told me about that, and so then we were talking about some of the great Christian leaders of yesterday, and I said, well, Billy Graham, I actually only ever met him once, and I told him my anecdote of having met Billy Graham one time, and he said, well, I knew Billy, and I'll tell you one time when I went to see Billy when he was older, and it was up in his um, house, and it was after Ruth, his wife, had died, and I went to see him, and I sat down with Billy, and I said, I've got a question for you, Billy. Then he said, yes. He said, my question is, what is the secret of your success? And apparently, Billy Graham replied with one word, prayer. And then he began to cry. He said, it was Ruth who taught me. How I miss her. It's the work of the Spirit. And so let us pray. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Our Lord God, we before you admit uh, that we really aren't that strong and it, we really cannot do it. We also come to you and ask, Lord, that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to believe your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.